Well, church family, today I have the opportunity to do something a bit unique. I hope you've already been encouraged this morning. I certainly have. And for those of you who are guests of ours, it is at this point in the service on a weekly basis, week in and week out, that I have the privilege of saying to you, if you have your copy of God's Word, take it and turn with me too. But this morning, while we will be in God's Word, I'm pausing the series I'm currently in in Exodus to share something very significant, very important with you. It has to do with your future at Church at the Mill. It certainly has to do with my future at Church at the Mill. And it has to do with the opportunities before us. Now, everything's good. I come to you today with encouraging news. Nobody's going anywhere. And we are excited about the opportunity before us. So let me try to describe what it is I'd like to share with you in just a few moments. Because some Sundays are specifically designed for a nap, especially the rainy ones. And I want to get you to that. But before I do, I want to ask you to go on a journey with me. A journey that can best be described by thinking about moments. Some moments are more important than others. Some of life is mundane. We get up, we go to work, we go to school, we take care of our families, we hit repeat. And we do this in our lives because we chase after those other moments. The moment you came to faith in Christ. The moment of your baptism that you just shared with these individuals. The moment you fell in love. The moment you married. The moment you welcomed children into your home, whether through the gift of birth or the gift of adoption. The moment you earned that degree that you worked so hard for, that certification that you toiled over. The moment you got that first job or the current job that you have. The moment you got to experience that lifelong goal of going to a particular place in the world and sharing it with loved ones. I know the older I get, the more I care more about moments and memories than I do material things. That moment when you sit back and you look and your entire family's in the home and they're laughing and enjoying one another. And then that moment when they leave. <laughs> Life has some significant moments. But all joking aside, I actually do believe as your pastor today, I stand here in a pretty significant moment. And I hope I'll be able to articulate exactly what I mean to you, because it's a moment you and I share together. The best way I can describe this moment is in three simple statements. Here they are. More than ever, God has blessed us at Church at the Mill. Amen? More than ever, he has blessed us. More than ever, our community needs the gospel. And more than ever, we must do something about it. Let me read those again. More than ever, God has blessed us. More than ever, our community needs the gospel. And more than ever, we must do something about us. Let's start with the blessings. And this is where I would direct you to God's word. You're welcome to turn, but for brevity's sake, I've supplied it on the screen. One of the things we recognize in the Gospels is that after Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, he told the disciples, go back to Jerusalem and wait on the Holy Spirit. And the day that the Holy Spirit fell on those people, the church was born. We can mark in history the day the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was born. And we know that church is the people who will be welcomed into a new heaven and a new earth with the Lord at the second coming. And we know that we, as a part of that church, are those in this generation and at this time charged with the task of making the glory of God known to the nations and the message of Christ known to people in need of the gospel. So we can go back and look at how this whole thing began. This is not a social experiment. This is not cultural conformity. We are a part of the redeemed. We believe that Christ came, lived, died, rose again, paid for our sins, delivered the Spirit, and unto the saints the gospel, sustained and kept in perfect, in, 
intact his word, gave us his word, his spirit, and his gospel, and then entrusts us with the world around us to make the message of Christ known. That's what we believe. We're not playing religion, nor are we interested in going through the motions of some culturally conformed church. We believe we're a part of a movement of God with many, many Christians across many denominational lines in many places today. We join the redeemed. And yet when we go back and we look at the church, one of the common denominators of the church from its birth was that God loves to grow his church. In Acts chapter 2 verse 41, when the Spirit fell on Pentecost and the church was born, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, recorded these words. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So this was not just a small group of people for centuries and centuries. The moment the Spirit fell, 3,000 people repented of their sins, trusted Christ, and publicly professed their faith through baptism. The moment the church was born. A few verses later in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I think this is important because I love who is the adder, who is the one who is adding, who is the one who is making the addition. The Lord, Church of the Mill, has never saved anybody. Church of the Mill can't save anybody. A church, a group of people cannot work in your heart. We can be used by God to work in your heart. We can be the instruments of God's blessing in your life. But ultimately, your spiritual faith rests in the hands of a gracious God in your response to Him. And from the earliest stages of the church's growth, the Lord is the one who gets the credit for the salvation. If I don't do anything this morning, I want to give credit to the Lord for what He has done. In Acts chapter 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So in chapter 2, 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. Two chapters over, just one or two page flips in your Bible, and now we're 5,000 men, and that's not even counting the women and children that those homes represented. And then in Acts chapter 6, a chapter noted for an issue of division in the church where the deacons were asked to solve a problem of the distribution of food to the widows. Before we even get into the weeds of that subject in verse 1 of chapter 6, now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number. Verse 7 of chapter 6 says it this way, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied. Notice how we've gone from addition to multiplication, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So those who would persecute and oppose the Lord were some of the first hundreds, and according to Luke, even thousands, who believed upon his name. So, so even a broad stroke investigation of the early church shows that God loves to save people, and God loves to see people come into his kingdom, and God loves to grow his church. Now, ultimately, numerical growth is too low of a goal. In fact, when we read the totality of the New Testament, we see the focus should be on growing people spiritually. But guess what is a natural outflow of spiritual growth? When you grow spiritually, you begin to want the things your Savior wants. And guess what your Savior wants? He wants your friends and loved ones and family members to know Him. So as you grow spiritually, you become more in tune with the heartbeat of a God who said, I have come to seek and save that which is lost. I seem to remember being taught as a little boy, my God loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So the gospel, the go-tell message by default, means that if we share, people will be saved. And if people are saved, they will be saved into Christ and into his body. And if they're saved into his body, then they need a healthy, Bible-preaching, Spirit-filled, loving New Testament church for them to do life in. And that's exactly what God has done. But perhaps one of the verses that resonates with me the most is the one I'd like to base everything I'm about to share with you on. 
Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Acts chapter 5 is a difficult chapter where God is dealing with the church. He actually judges two individuals of the church for lying to the church. But in the midst of Acts chapter 5, verse 14, after this moment of divine judgment where the fear and awe of God was reinstated in the embryonic church, this is what Luke writes. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. More than ever. Those words gripped my heart this summer as I thought about today. For the better part of a year, this message has been cooking in me. Now, I want to be very clear. I do not believe, nor do I teach other young ministers training for ministry, that the pastor is to create the mission or the vision of the church. We have an epidemic in our Western civilization among evangelical Christians placing pastors on pedestals of celebrity status. And the problem with that is that if you build a ministry off the charisma of a man or a woman and their giftedness, then the minute pride causes them to fall, the ministry crumbles like a house of cards. The New Testament clearly shows that while pastors are extremely important to the health and the direction of a church, it is the message of the gospel that should be the vision of every church. We're reading the same book. And so the pastor's role is not to create vision. Rather, it is to take the vision of the New Testament and to contextualize that to his people and communicate it convictionally, communicate it consistently, and communicate it clearly. And there are times where the Lord, not because of some metric, not because of some form of analytical study, the Lord will begin to stir in me, it is time to recast and recalibrate your church. And this verse began to resonate with me. Really, to be honest with you, three words in the verse. More than ever. Now drop that on those three statements. More than ever, God has blessed us. More than ever, our community needs the gospel. And more than ever, we have to do something about it. I'd like to show you what I mean. Let's start with the blessings. More than ever, God has put his foot on the gas pedal of growth around here. When you think about Church at the Mill and you think about growth, it's kind of been a part of it since day one. Just since 2010, if you were to chart our weekly attendance, you noticed something very quickly, even if you made a C in statistics. Look at the growth. And if you'll notice the red and the, excuse me, the red and the green, the far right-hand column, those represent two new campuses that have been onboarded in the last two and a half years. Now, I, I recognize that you should never build a worship service around statistics, and so if you are a guest of ours, today is not the norm. I'm not all apologi uh, apologetic about it. I'm excited about it, but today's not the norm. The norm is to open up the book and to preach the book but by preaching the book, God has brought people who need to understand the strategic position we've been placed in. So let me give you some numbers to dwell on and to think about because more than ever, God has been good to us. Here's a number, 1,200. You know what that number is? That's the increase in weekly attendance from one year ago today. So, so a year ago, there were 1,200 less people inside of Church at the Mill on a weekly basis. And when I say inside, I don't just mean this building. I mean one of our buildings, in one of our ministries, in one of our programs. I, I can assure you that while you won't find a better team of pastors and men and women who are leading your staff and your lay leaders are some of the most wonderful people I have ever seen, I wouldn't trade them for anything. Even we sit in staff meeting and look at numbers like this, and we're recognized or we're realized in humility, we're not that good. This has nothing to do with us. The Lord is doing something. There is the seed bit of revival happening. I've seen it on social media where large-scale college worship services are seeing people come to Jesus. I'm listening to friends and loved ones in the ministry talk about the 
way that the spirit of revival seems to be moving among people. And notice where we are as a country, a country without hope, a country without leadership, a country without direction, a country whose cultural norms are being attacked and eroded. People are not flourishing and they're not doing well. And yet this is the time in history where the gospel has the most potential to shine the brightest. And when you study revivals and great movements of God, what you find is they never occur among prosperous, successful seasons. They always come when a culture is at a crossroads and its soul has been lost and its people are floundering and flourishing. And this is where we are. And 1,200 people a week are showing up over one year ago. How about this one? 2,411 that's how many children are engaged in the weekly ministry at Church at the Mill. 2,411. I've seen some of the vehicles you're driving. Some of you bring 20% of those children every time you come onto our campus. 2,411 children are engaged on a weekly basis in one of our ministries or programs. How about 100 plus? Did you know this week over 100 individuals through our all-access ministry will be ministered to in a developmentally appropriate way? Kids, students, and now adults with special needs are being ministered to by a team of incredible volunteers, and there are families sitting in this room listening to me share who would not be here were it not for an all-access ministry that has loved their child where they are and celebrated the fact that they're created in the image of God exactly as God intended them to be created for His glory. I think about 1,371. That's how many students are now connected to our student ministry. That's larger than most high schools in this state. And on a weekly basis, through one of our many programs and ministries, these are the individual students that we are engaging. All 1,371 of them are in line for pizza every Wednesday night at 6.30 if you ever want to see it. Keep your distance, but if you ever want to see it, it is an amazing sight. 2,000, it's a nice clean number, but that's the number of adults at Church at the Mill who are now engaged in some form of weekly discipleship, small group mentoring, equipped classes, or biblical counseling. That shows that people are more interested in spiritual growth than they are simply weekly attending the corporate gathering. I think this is the most important time of our week because we are gathered with the saints as the Bible says. But if you truly listen to what is preached in this room and if you mean what you sing in this room, then it builds in you a thirst to go grow more and you only grow spiritually in a church with other people. You can grow on your own in your own walk, but in a church, it requires relationship. 411. That's how many people have received biblical counseling since our Church at the Mill biblical counseling ministry began. Now, nobody raises their hand for counseling when things are going great. In fact, many of you in this room are recipients of this counseling. And this is usually when you're in a dark, difficult season of discouragement. But I think about the fact that 411 individuals doesn't even touch the number of people impacted because when a person receives biblical counsel, it changes their marriage, it changes their parenting, it changes the way they carry themselves. And so there's an untold number of people who've been impacted by biblical counseling that will not bow to the altar of, worldly view, of a worldview of the human mind, but points people back to God's Word and God's Lordship in their life. And then we find real behavioral change comes from spiritual change, which comes from being under the Lordship of Christ, the sufficiency of His Word, and the ever-present power of His Spirit. 79. 
Currently today, that's how many families are below the poverty line and receiving nourishment from our His Storehouse ministry. And when families receive this, they don't just hand it a box of goods. They receive a church member who partners with their family, prays with them, goes and visits their home, loves them, and shares the gospel with them. 264. That's the number of individuals who've left the state of South Carolina on a church at the mill mission trip. Think about that. 264 people left the rhythm of their life to go be a part of making Christ known. We have a team this morning in Boston working with a network of church planners that we partner with. Many of you this summer saw teams to go to and from literally every corner of the world, and more trips are certainly and always will be planned. Here's one, 6,204. That's a big one, isn't it? 6,204. That's not the number of minutes it takes to get through the light at Anderson Mill Road and Reedville Road. <laughs> That's the number of first-time guests at Church at the Mill since January of 2021. Think about that. Since post-COVID, the first year past 2020, January of 2021, we really begin paying attention to this. 6,204 individual souls have visited one of our worship services for the very first time. Our community is wanting the gospel. They want it, which leads to 1,000. That group that you were introduced to this morning represented it. Sunday, we surpassed 1,000 new members since January of 2021. 1,000 since January of 2021. And finally, my favorite number is 394. That's how many people have professed faith in Christ through baptism since January of 2021. 394, and we don't do spontaneous baptisms. We meet with every candidate. We make them articulate the gospel. For children, they take a class. We want to make sure that baptism's not a fad, but it is a decision you're making that is a public profession of an inward commitment that you believe you have made in response to the Holy Spirit working in your life. 394 people have done that. Now, when you think about those numbers, they can be staggering, they can be encouraging, they can be a little bit overwhelming, but it leads me to my second statement. More than ever, God has blessed us, but more than ever, our community needs the gospel. I'm building an argument. It's not an argument I feel like I need to make from a position of adversarial, an adversarial attitude. I'm building an argument to help you join with me in a sense of urgency, because I have an ask for you later. I have a question I want to put before you. Here's the first part of the argument. God has been good to us. We love and root for all churches that preach and teach the gospel. We care about churches. We care about other churches. We mentor other pastors. We revitalize other churches. We share our ministry skills and sets with other churches. We host regional and state conferences here. So we are pro-church. But when I look at the landscape of churches, I struggle to find one that is received more from the Lord. I'm telling you, we ought to be a grateful people for his goodness in our lives and what he has done for us. I've never been a part of a church that's grown this explosively, and I don't have any authority from God's Word to tell you this window of growth won't one day close. I think churches, like preachers, like movements, have a shelf life. I think there were churches that impacted your life that you never knew about because those were the churches your grandmother was raised in as a little girl. I think there are pastors and leaders and Sunday school teachers you've never met, but they led an ancestor of yours to Christ, who led your great-grandmother to Christ, who led your grandmother to Christ, who led you, your mother to Christ, and so on. And so it's not about chasing fame in the annals of history. But it's about looking at how good God has been to us and then asking not, Lord, how did you do this? But asking, Lord, why did you do this? And this is where the second part of this argument comes. Our community more than ever needs the gospel. Now, when we think about our community, I want you to recognize you don't live in a sleepy southern town anymore. 
It's happening around here. In fact, North America is the only continent where Christianity statistically is losing ground when compared to the population growth. So we live in a nation that's not becoming more saved. We live in a nation that's becoming more lost. In fact, we grow every year in the number of missionaries that are sent by the church globally to the United States because of the lostness of our country. And when you think about that, think about Spartanburg. Some of you may have grown up here, and it was that nice, little, simple, sleepy southern town. But this summer, if you needed more evidence, you got it. We were identified as the 12th fastest-growing city in the United States. Spartanburg, not Spartanburg-Greenville. I know we get lumped together a lot in national stuff. I like Greenville. It's nice, you know. Okay, but I, I'm a Spartanburg guy. But, but just Spartanburg is the 12th fastest-growing city in the United States. So, so let that sink in. We live in the wealthiest, most prosperous nation that's ever existed in civilization. We now in that live in one of the fastest growing states in the union, and we're the 12th fastest growing city in the nation, in one of the faster growing states, in the largest, most prosperous economic society that has ever existed. We don't get to step back and ignore that. We don't get to see that and not understand that we've been strategically placed for such a time as this. And then when you think about the growth of Spartanburg, it also reminds us of the growth of the county. 10,233 people moved to this county last year. 10,233 people moved here. We will always be a church that goes. We will always be a church that gives to those who go. We will always beat the drum for missions. But God is also bringing the world to us. It's not that they're moving from Cherokee County or Union County. That happens. But they're moving from every state in the Union and literally every nation in the world. I now meet first-time guests not from other states or counties or communities, but from entirely different countries who have come here. And it's interesting because more than once I've met people who come as believers and they say, we don't know why, but the Spirit of God told us to get to Spartanburg. Now, I believe that God is doing that not because he loves Spartanburg more than he loves any other city, but because he's positioning this community to be a part of something that he's doing. The winds of revival seem to be blowing, and it excites my heart. And then I look at you and me. I can't think of a more significant pulpit and a more significant group of people who are more significantly positioned for such a time as this. And so if you feel as though this is just simply trumped-up statistics for a motivational talk, then I have failed. It is more than that. These are the things that cause me to ponder and think and wonder and then thank God for what he's doing because I know of elderly people in our church who've been praying for years that God would do something in and among our community and that he would use church at the mill in order to do it. And when you think about Spartanburg County, it is growing twice as fast as counties do in the nation. So we're growing at twice the rate of the normal county twice as fast, we're the 12th fastest growing city in the nation, and we're in a country that is losing ground in Christianity, but we are the freest evangelicals to ever exist. You have total freedom to share your faith. Not one of you will be persecuted publicly, civilly, or socially, or militarily for going to church today. And I don't believe that is an opportunity that our grandchildren will have. I don't believe our nation is becoming more free. I believe as our nation and its leaders move away from the Judeo-Christian principles that it was founded on, we will see an intensity of persecution among evangelical Christians. I am not suggesting we are a persecuted people today. There are people who love the Lord Jesus in other places who have paid far greater price than you and I ever have. But our grandkids might be. And it won't start with anyone arresting us. It won't start with anyone shooting at us for going to church. It'll start when they attack our non-taxable or our tax-free 
nonprofit status because we will not redefine marriage as anything other than between one man and one woman. It'll start when we continue to say there is only one way that people come into this world, and that is through the womb of their mother. And before they are birthed, the Lord God chose their gender, and their gender is set in the sovereignty of his mind. And changing that only leads to chaos and confusion because it is an impossibility to change what God has done. We will be persecuted for that one day. We will be persecuted for saying to people, Jesus is not a way, he's not a good way, he's not one way, Jesus is the way, and I'm not quoting myself, I'm not quoting some theologian, I'm not quoting some dusty old book in some library, I'm quoting Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through or by me. We will one day be persecuted for those truths in this nation. Might not be in my lifetime. May not be in the lifetime of my children. But it is coming, and history tells us it's coming. So if you will allow me, we are a fast-growing, healthy New Testament church in the 12th fastest-growing city of the most robust economy that's ever existed among the most free evangelicals to ever follow the Lord Jesus in a country that is growing more lost by the day, which is why we have to recognize that even in Spartanburg County, 70% of the population of this county are unchurched. 70% of the population of this county. This is not the Bible Belt anymore. Your grandmother may have grown up in the Bible Belt, but it's not that way anymore. That means seven out of 10 homes in your neighborhood are not connected to a Bible-believing church. There may be random attendance. They may hit us on Christmas Eve. They may feel better about themselves by coming for Easter, but they are unchurched. Now, interestingly, because we're in the Deep South, half of those people think and profess to be Christians. I'm not suggesting that I can statistically say they're lost. In fact, most of you probably have a portion of your life where you weren't as connected with church as you ought to be. I recognize that church attendance does not equate directly to salvation, but I also recognize this. The gospel that I preach teaches that if Christ is the Lord of your life, you will long to be connected with his people. And so while there might be a season of disobedience, a season of rebellion, a season where you've been discouraged and disenfranchised, the pattern of a true believer's life is that if she or he loved the Lord Jesus, they will love his body and his church and be connected. So if 70% of the population is unchurched, that leaves somewhere around 30% that's churched. And of that, 21% of those people claim to be evangelical Christians in our county. So 21 out of 100 say, I I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. I believe in being saved. I believe that salvation is from Christ alone. 21 of those would be in our camp. Yet statistically, 1% of those will ever share their faith and ask someone to be saved. Now, way more than 1% might pray for their waitress. Way more than 1% might invite their kids' little league coach to church. That's wonderful. That's a good thing. You want to ask me the outreach strategy for Church at the Mill? There is no Tuesday night visitation. It is no systematic, systematic blitz over some neighborhood. We don't solicit people door to door. Nobody goes door to door. Most of the neighborhoods say no solicitation. Ladies, if you're home by yourself cooking and the doorbell rings, you don't have positive vibes. We don't live in Mayberry anymore where you sit on your rocking chair and hope somebody walks by. You're like, who's at the door? Who's here? Just leave it at the door. We'll pick it up later. So what is our outreach strategy? Well, it's people who are growing in Christ, excited about what God is doing, telling their friends and their loved ones to come to church with them. That is a good thing. But that in and of itself is a part of being salt and light. That is not evangelism. Evangelism is when you say, in your own words, you say, this is what Christ has done for me. This is his hope for your life. Would you trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Statistically, only 1% of professing Christians ever share their faith fully and ask someone to trust Christ outside of their home. I'm so thankful that we're reaching our children. I rejoice in reaching other people's children. But in reality, when we look we see a situation where more and more people are moving and we can't keep up with the lostness at the pace in which we're going. Think about it this way. 
There are 400 evangelical churches in our county. 400. I just told you 10,000 people moved here this year. If you add that in and you say there's somewhere around 325,000 people in this county, you could easily see how churches are not gaining ground at all in lostness. And I don't have to tell you that. Just look around. How many churches do you know that see what we're seeing? And again, we want to rejoice and help. But this is where the Lord just freed me up to not apologize, to go for the whole county. To go for the whole county. And I'll tell you what I think about. I think about the fact that 32, 31 people die every day in Spartanburg County. That's according to the coroner's office, 31 people. Now, when you compare that to the 70% that are disconnected from church, potentially, potentially, that means 23 people die in Spartanburg County and go to hell every day. So this is my ask. When you look at all we've been given and how God's positioned us, Let's make it hard to go to hell from Spartanburg County. Which leads to my final statement. More than ever, we must do something about it. Here is a new way of communicating our vision. I share it with you today for the first time. More than ever, we're going to seek to become a New Testament church that is deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. Church at the Mill will now seek to become a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. Now, right now, that's just words to you, and I understand that. I've been fooling with that sentence for over a year and poured it through the filter of many godly men and women. It means so much to me, and my hope is that over time it will come to mean a lot to you. There'll be no test today, but about five weeks from now, when we finish this journey of galvanizing our vision, if I bump into you anywhere, I want you to be able to make this statement. Pastor, we want to become a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy highly impactful multi-site church. If I catch you in Broncos halfway through a burrito, I want you to stop and with hot sauce on your mouth, I want you to be able to say these words. We want to be a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful multi-site church. Today's not the day, but over the next few weeks, I'm going to unpack every single word in that sentence, and I'm going to show you how this connects not just to us, because us is you. We are the culmination of a lot of individual people. Church of the Mill has been here before. There have been moments where the vision needed to be recast and the church needed to recalibrate its goals. This church started in 1988 with 30 people in a retired pastor's living room, one mile over my left shoulder. And now when you see where we are, Ten years later, they wanted this piece of property, a piece of property that we were told would not be available. I wasn't here. Many of you weren't here. But they did this vision journey called Possess the Land. Then in 2004, after interviewing many qualified candidates, none of which came, they gave me the chance to come be the pastor. And then in 2009, we did this journey called The Time Is Now. And if your kids touch the kids' theater today, Back there, that was the building that we built to move us onto this property. It kind of took the top off, uh, uh, the lid off of the can of being a, a large church to becoming something that could be regional. And I remember us calling it the time is now because we've been told by so many, you're going to be the next breakout church. And then in 2016, greater. We all went to the Upward Star Center. Many of you were not here, but you were there. You were there in our prayers because we believed if we built this facility that more people would be able to come and hear God's Word. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, the faithfulness of those people on October 30, 2016 is the reason that many of you parked in your space today, that you checked your children in today, and that you enjoyed this beautiful facility. 
And then we built the new facility four years ago, and we saw God deliver us a new vision, which was multi-site. Not through simulcast, not through building it around one personality, but through New Testament churches functioning there in those communities under us, a family of one church with multiple campuses. I gave you this screen vision, this picture of the communities, and I gave you a list of the reach that we could have in the upstate. And then I laid it out, and COVID hit. And I thought, well, we'll just put that one on the shelf for three or four years. And in the middle of the pandemic, Woodruff doors opened, and we launched a campus in Woodruff. And five months ago, we launched a campus at Lake Cooley. We have an Asian congregation that's worshiping in one of our other rooms. We're working hard right now at the beginning stages of building up Church at the Mill Espanol, a Hispanic service a campus, a congregation that will happen next year. There are some other campuses that I can't speak of right now because there's still some uncertainty and some unknowns, and I want to be careful and sensitive to the other churches that are involved, but more campuses are coming. And when you go to those campuses, a live preacher pastors you. There's a staff there, and yet the programming is supported by this central campus, which is the model that we think is both healthy and most resembles the New Testament. And so, when we've seen this unfold and be unpacked before us, it leads me to my conclusion. What is more than ever? Here it is. More than ever is a three-year spiritual journey of generosity to provide financial funding for debt retirement and the expansion of more campuses. Our desire is to enlist every member in the spiritual and financial journey of supporting our church's vision to become a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful, multi-site church. That's what more than ever is, and it begins today. It's so much more than just your dollars. But when every family in this church chooses to dig deep and give beyond their normal tithes and offerings, here's exactly what we're going to do. Number one, we're going to aggressively go ahead and get debt-free. You're setting in a $16.8 million facility that we cut the ribbon on in 2019. I am excited to tell you today our debt is now $7.4 million. Think about that. $7.4 million. Let me tell you what I want it to be. Zero. Because your biggest monthly payment for your family in most situations is your mortgage. Don't overthink it. That's the way a church works. Our mortgage payment is about a million dollars a year. So when we get debt free, we free up a million dollars for more ministry, more campuses, and more missions. We want to do that together. Many of you don't even know there's a building fund to give to because you're a part of the thousands that are new. That's not your fault. But it would be our fault to not let you join with the rest of us who've given to the time is now greater, greater 2.0, whatever emphasis we choose to describe it as, let's get debt free. Secondly, we want to make sure we secure and prepare physical locations for current and future campuses. Let me tell you something. I'll be really blunt with you. In the United States, the phenomena of the megachurch goes something like this. Growing community, hire the right guy, build the right building, make a 20-year run, and after 20 years when he retires and the community changes and the building's dilapidated, the church dies. Look around. The nation is full of churches that were big. There is no fountain of youth. There's a fountain of health. And it's not in building bigger buildings here. It's not in buying more and more property and making this campus even more massive. It's in reproducing healthy congregations all over our community where people who are unchurched feel less intimidated to go to, where it's closer to where they do life. It's going to Woodruff. It's going to the Lake Cooley community. It's one day going to the east side of town. It's going to the Spanish-speaking community. It's going to the Asian population. It's going to communities that you live in. And here's the genius of it. Instead of dropping a young couple off, good luck, we love you, here's five grand a month, we're sending an army of people. We sent 200 to Woodruff. I hadn't missed them, have you? I missed them spiritually. But man, it's like, whew. We sent 200 to Lake Cooley. Whew. 
And so what God is doing, we're just now joining and saying, let's go after the whole county. Let's go after the whole upstate, and let's be a church that other churches in North America say, hey, listen, if you want to be a mega church, there's a lot of models. But if you want to be a church that's deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, and highly impactful, go down there to church at the mill. They'll underwhelm you. They're just normal folks. Talk to the pastor. He's from Alabama. Your English is better than his. Just, just go talk to them and look what they did and look how they challenged people. I'll give you a great example. When we started the Woodruff campus, we became tenants in an old shopping center that is a great location, 10 acres in the middle of now one of the faster growing cities in our county, the city of Woodruff. I call it the Horton Factor. Lauren and I moved down there, bam, the thing just took off, right? But the city, we even got a Starbucks in Woodruff. We don't know what venti means, but we got a Starbucks down there in Woodruff. I just want a big one. Can you give me a big coffee? That's what I tell them. And the girl with purple hair rolls her eyes and she rings me up for a big coffee. But here's the point. We got a Starbucks. So this, this, this campus is 10 acres. We were told by the landowners who were very nice, we built a great relationship with them, we're not interested in selling. We offered again, we're not interested in selling. Then in June, out of nowhere, I get a text from one of the landowners that says, we want to talk. I called our elders together, had a phone call. They gave me a number. I felt like a big shot walking in the room. Walked down there into their living room. We negotiated a price, and I got great news for you. In October, we are closing on the entire campus in Woodruff. We're so thankful. It's 10 acres and an old building that's going to need some attention, but it is strategically located in the center of town, and I want to be in the center of every other town in this county where people can go right next door and hear exposition of God's Word, where they can be loved on and brought into passionate worship and life-changing relationships. Next Sunday, at the conclusion of the service, we're going to ask you to join us, according to our bylaws, in a vote of affirmation for this purchase. We've negotiated it. It is a $3 million purchase, and we are taking $0 out of the bank in debt. We are not making a loan on this. We're going to pay cash for it because of your faithfulness. Now, that means we're then out of cash, so we need you to continue to be faithful. <laughs> so, in essence, we're borrowing it from ourselves, which leads to that third goal, and I'm done. Here's the third goal. The upfront costs associated with campus startups. Cooley and Woodruff cost us about a half a million to start, but we paid for it out of the weekly tithes and offerings. I'm thankful for that, but we can't keep that pace. And so we want one fund that every family gives to above their tithes and offerings that helps us hammer down the debt and gets us ready for the next campus. And here's why. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? Look around. Who's going to do it? It's on us. We need to do it. Sunday morning, October 22nd, I'm going to ask every family in this church to join my family in making a monthly commitment for three years to hammer down, get rid of our debt, and get ready for the next wave of campuses. More than ever, we need to do this. I want you to pray about this, but I think you pray better when there's something in your hands you can reference. Our ushers are going to stand up right now, and I ask you not to stand up. Let the ushers stand up, and they're going to distribute a beautiful booklet that our team has built that has a lot of this information in it. If you're on the end of an aisle, they may enlist you. I'd like for one per household. One per family, please. They're very expensive. One per family. We want every family to have it. If you're a new family, you get one. If you're a guest family, you can have one. If you're a single young adult, we want your household to have one. You take one. One per family. If you do not see one coming your way, the house lights are up, would you run your hand up, and we will get you one. One per family. If there are extras, would you hand it to one of these wonderful men or women who usher us so greatly? We're literally about to pray and be dismissed. I'd ask for you to remain seated until we can get these distributed, one per family. Now, once you get one, I want you to slide it in your Bible. I want you to put it on your nightstand, dashboard of your truck, coffee table, kitchen table. 
I want your family to flip through it, and I want you to read the story of what God is doing, and I want you to begin to pray. The house lights are up. If you don't see one near you, would you raise your hand? Our ushers will get you one. I'm looking for any raised hands. Guys, you help me with that. If there are any extras on your row, would you hand those to the ushers now and make sure they get that? I'm going to pause for five seconds and let this happen. Anyone not get one? Would you raise your hand? Okay. If you did not get one, I got one for you at the hub. If you didn't get one, would you pray with me and let's go home? Let's pray together. Father, one day we are going home. Not home around the corner, not home down the road, but we're going home, home. And when we go home, it will be a joyous time of reunion. I think about the people I'll meet. I think about the loved ones I've had to say goodbye to. I think about the church members I've buried with tears in my eyes. But I also think about the people who we could meet one day. And they say, you don't know me, but you started a campus in my neighborhood. And I went skeptical, and Christ found me. You don't know me, but a missionary you supported came to my city, had coffee with me, loved me, and explained the gospel. You don't know me, but I slung tires down at Michelin. And one of my coworkers started changing. He cleaned his language up. And I asked him one day at work what had happened. And he told me about Jesus. You don't know me, but I was going through a divorce. And to make things somewhat better, I put my kid on a little baseball team and the coach loved on him and encouraged him and invited us to church and we came and I came to Christ. Lord, those are the conversations that keep me going. Those are the conversations that make serving you fresh and real and vital. That's what matters and more than ever, Lord, if I have said anything that is not a part of your will, would you remove it from my heart and the heart of every precious member? But if this is of you, and I believe it is, Lord, help us throw the brakes off. Lord, help us to have reckless faith, to be wise as stewards, but to be radically generous to the end that people in this county would not have to go very far to find a life-giving, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving, Spirit-filled church where they can be loved and encouraged with the truth of the gospel. More than ever, would you work and move in this journey. And for October 22nd, Lord, I ask for you to do something on that day so great that only you could get the credit for it. I love you. We love you. And it is in your love that we pray and dismiss. And God's people said, amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.